You can now subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee and save 20% off every single time and never have to worry about ordering it because they'll send it straight to your door at any interval of your choice. Make sure you check out Strava Craft Coffee, rich, tasty CBD-infused coffee. It's great stuff. If you want to just have a single cup, you can come on down to the DNVR bar, try out our Strava Craft Coffee CBD-infused cold brew. It is all the rage within the DNVR staff and really anyone that's come down to the bar and tried out. Or, of course, you can get a bag sent to you for 20% off or Keurig, uh, K-Cups for your Keurig, 20% off when you use the code DNVR20. So make sure you check out Strava Craft Coffee and consider subscribing today. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands. Drinking the curds from my life the best part of the weekend. Hugging the perfect stranger as they become a friend. Having a good time when the orange and blue W-I-N. Tuning in every day with the good folks down at DNVR. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. They'll put a rigorous and affordable education at your fingertips. They'll show you professors that bring the real world into the classroom. Check out msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. 750 programs, 40 plus hybrid programs. Uh, just really worth your time. If you have any interest in online education, make sure you check out msudenver.edu slash online. Oh, muted! We got him, Mace. We oh, got him. God. Let's go. I muted, oh. muted myself, muted. But my boys. Now that What's you've muted, up? now that you've muted yourself, we're through the looking glass here. Maybe we can retire this. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love Ryan getting at me. Uh, uh, you want to start again, there, Zach? <laughs> my boys. What's up? Day ten of training camp coming to you live from here. And, uh, you know, we talked about the Broncos sending out some uh, something for the backdrop here. And instead, I think they just decided to fly some planes over. Mm, interesting. Maybe we can shift your camp. Are they, are they like leaving messages like muted? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> just for Mace. Uh, that should be leaving it for you today. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, all right, Zach. Big training camp practice today. I just just based off what I saw on Twitter, it looks like today's practice was a lot more exciting than the practice I uh, I attended yesterday. It was the pads were back on, and it was so exciting. In fact, Vic Fangio almost opened up the practice to be live during a couple periods because he loved the energy going on at practice, and there was great energy. The energy was perfect because it got to the point. We are having Graham Glasgow kind of going over, holding some players off from each other, but nothing escalating from there. Hooting and hollering from the defense. Same going on the offensive side of the ball. And Vic was so close to just making the practice live full go because it was so good. But he held back. How do you know this? Did he tell you that after practice? I read his mind. Yeah, no, <laughs> he, he, he told us after practice. <laughs> uh, so that's, I mean... First of all, I think the big thing here is yesterday, Vic Fangio said, hey, look, if we are uh, come out, of, you know, what we do tomorrow is going to be based on how we come out of today. Uh, and obviously no one was hurt yesterday because they didn't do anything. 
So it's nice to hear, though, that, you know, he felt confident enough to go with a, you know, a legitimate practice today. And then also the fact that he even considered going live during the practice tells you he's feeling a lot better uh, about, you know, the overall health of the team. Yeah. Now, the funny part about that was everyone that missed practice yesterday mispracticed today so people didn't get healthier but like you said ryan no one got hurt from that glorified walkthrough yesterday and what we're seeing now he talked about this after practice some of those guys are expected back now not kj hamler michael ojimudia but he said there's a good chance tim patrick is back thursday a good chance Devontae bosby is back on thursday and it's 50 50 for mike purcell so maybe having those guys back of course they're all key guys either on the first team or on the second team, depending on where you've got Devontae Bosby and uh, what package you're looking at. Maybe that plus the off day tomorrow does lead to getting some live action on Thursday. Maybe that'll give him the confidence to do that. Yeah, and and the thing about this practice was Vic Fangio told the defense uh, that, that they were going to have a normal practice today. Didn't tell the offense, though, until just near the end of practice. The defense came out, dominated dominated the beginning of practice a lot of runs defense was blowing them up alexander johnson blowing up runs left and right uh and the offense was just out of sync and you know what every day i've been at practice it was because of the pass rush that dominated today the pass rush was fine the pass rush was normal but it wasn't the pass rush that exploded the offense the offense just was off when drew Locke was making good passes his receivers were dropping them when drew Locke wasn't making good passes. His receivers weren't able to make the difficult catch. Uh, so they were just off throughout the, the entirety of practice until the very end when they were able to bounce back in some red zone work. Uh, you, you had Drew Locke make a beautiful play to Jerry Judy. Uh, and then the, another good throw to Judy late in practice as well. Jake Butt making a catch there in the red zone as well. And, uh, and Jerry Judy, guys, this was a very interesting day for him. He started practice trending down. Uh, I mean, he, he was going to be in the first trending down uh, topic that we have on the DNBR.com when we do these observations, but he bounced back nicely. He had two drops to start practice, which I haven't seen him drop a pass yet, so I was surprised to see back-to-back drops. Uh, and it, in there was a catch by him. Drew went right back to him, which I love to see his quarterback have confidence in him to go right back to him. Uh, and then uh, later throughout practice, he came back with a beautiful like 40-yard catch downfield near the, near the sideline. He could not see where the ball was coming because he had great coverage by Bryce Callahan on him, but still was able to make a difficult catch. And then the play of the day came with Drew Locke scrambling, not, not because of pressure, but he was just scrambling to the left in that red zone period. Jerry Judy, feet planted, I mean, a millimeter before the sideline. Drew throws a laser. Judy makes a fantastic catch over the sideline, gets both feet in, secures the ball, and the momentum of the ball just carried him out of bounds and onto the ground. But it, it, it was a touchdown. It, uh, it was a fantastic play. So love to see the rookie bounce back after a rough start. No How margin many? for error, but no defense for a play like that. If, you, if what you're talking about with the ball placement for Drew Locke getting the ball outside and Jerry Judy being near the, near the sideline like that, that is something where you could have him properly covered. The defense could do everything right, and it's still going to be six. That's a huge sign. That's one of the things that's going to make that combination dangerous. How many yards out was that play from, Zach? 
Uh, it was it was started from like the four yard line, but where Drew Ooh. was running, he was at like the the twelve when he threw it. it. Going to the right, going to the left. So so oh, Drew yeah. was going across his body. Mm-hmm. So really really good throw. And there actually wasn't tight coverage on Judy, so it didn't need to be a difficult throw. It didn't need to be a difficult catch. But like you said, Mace, if there was perfect coverage, right, a perfect throw would have beat that. And the other thing. You talk about the drops, and then he has these big plays. This has been the arc of Cortland Sutton at some practices this year as well. Early drop, kind of get that out of his system, and then he responds to big plays. And the reason why I think it's really cool that we're emphasizing Jerry Judy bouncing back here is we've seen just about everything else from Jerry Judy over the first 10 days of camp but we haven't seen him react to adversity, react to a mistake and how he compartmentalizes it and puts it behind him. This, I mean, I'm not saying it completes the picture for Jerry Judy just yet, but the fact that he's able to put a mistake behind him, that's just another check mark on the long and growing list of attributes that are going to make him a terrific pro wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. I think certain guys, you know, don't even it doesn't even register for them necessarily when they have a bad play. Like it just, it's a constant reset every play. Um, And the best guys have that, especially from the quarterback position. Uh, But you can go through any position. The best guys are able to take a good play, reset, go back and do it again. Take a bad play, reset, go back and do it again. And, and, you know, time will tell if Jerry Judy is totally that type of guy, but just the way that he attacks the game of football and his mindset towards the game of football gives me a good feeling that that might be the type of guy he is um he's you know we uh, we have we've talked a lot about jerry judy i don't know if we've talked enough or at all about how this man lives breathes eats sleeps football that you know this is his life he talks about it he's talked about it and even if you just you know follow him on social media you see any of the stuff that he's posting that's what he's about he is, you know, working when the Broncos have off days. He's talking about football. This is this is one of the reasons why, you know, we were so, so high on him in the draft is like, not only does he have all the skills, not only is he already a refined route runner, he's one of those guys who is all about football. Yeah, and he, he was asked what he likes to do when he's not playing football on a recent YouTube video he had, and he said, all I do is football. There's nothing else. And Ryan, you kind of detailed some of the things. And when he's not doing football, like we've seen from some of his Instagram stories, he's like just dancing in his house. He's unboxing clothes that he bought. It's the most innocent stuff. And it's things that you love to see from a young guy. What more do you need other than sports? I mean, come on. You've got that. Exactly. Everything else is just details, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I- That's why life is so good now. We got so many sports. Yeah, speak for yourself. Um, uh, Zach, what, what what else do we need to know from today's practice? Guys, this was a, a screen practice like no other. They were doing screen after screen after screen. And two running backs, but running backs lined up as wide receivers. I mean, it was play after play. And I don't know if it's because of that, but the defense was blowing them up pretty easy. And I guess when you know a screen's coming, it's easy to do that. So uh, it definitely benefited the defense with, with them doing that. But you're seeing a lot of Philip Lindsay in those screens, which is uh, which is exciting because, man, he caught one of them, and there was a tiny hole, 
and he shot out of a cannon. Now I think he actually would have been tripped up. So it wouldn't have been a huge play, but it's just, it's exciting to get Philip Lindsay, the ball in so much space with blockers. Now we've seen Phil involved in the screen game and passes in the flat swing pass, et cetera, throughout camp. But what I'd like to know is you talk about the defense blowing it up, which players were doing the most destruction on the defensive side to this screen game. Well, especially on the outside, you had Kareem Jackson and you had AJ Boye. And of course, Kareem's going to be a guy that that's flying there. He was reading the screens really well. Uh, so no surprise. It was Kareem. He is such a wrecking ball. Like that's just the perfect word for him. For me, it's like when, when he's out there and he's active on defense, he's an absolute wrecking ball, whether it's a run play, a pass play, a screen play. He just, he's so, he's so fast uh, and compact that he just gets in there like a wrecking ball and just blows things up. Even if he's not the one making the play, he's blowing some blockers out of the way or whatever it is. And before the very first play of practice, before I even noticed him doing that today, I looked at him, even just compared to Justin Simmons, and I thought, man, Kareem is tiny. I mean, he is not big. And the fact that he plays so fearless and like he's just shot out of a cannon is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Uh, so you mentioned screens, and, and I find it interesting that they would – I don't know – Maybe maybe you guys have a better idea. Why would you go screen after screen after screen after screen when the whole point of a screen is to catch the defense off guard? Well, the 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 funny thing with that is something else the Broncos did multiple times today was the same type of trick play. Now I can't really detail what exactly the trick play was, but they did that not once but twice in the practice, the exact same one. It didn't work either time. So maybe that's something we see this season is that they'll try a trick play uh, in you know two minutes left in the second quarter. And then so the defense will say, okay, we've seen their trick play, so we're not going to see it again. And then you run it again in the second half. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. And I actually kind of like the idea there. Although I hope it's not this exact trick play because, like I said, it oh. it didn't work either time and it wasn't very close either time. Uh, tight oh, end around. Yes, let's clarify this. This was not the tight end end around, was it? No, no, it was not a tight end oh. end around. I didn't give that away. It was it was a much more juicy one. Okay, okay. yeah. If if that had been the case, I think we uh, would have had to talk about Pat Shermer's job security right away. Uh. <laughs> A couple things here. So you talked about Philip Lindsay being used in the screen game and and that sort of thing. I wonder if Pat Shermer is finally the Broncos offensive coordinator that can get Philip Lindsay in open space because this will be his third offensive coordinator in three seasons as a Bronco. And you've you know, his first season, I think they actually did a better job of getting him out into open space, but I've always felt like they could do a better job of just getting him in, in the clear where he can make a move, uh, you know, run past the guy and make a big play. And when you talk about getting him screens and stuff like that, it makes me feel confident in Pat Shermer that he knows what he has in Philip Lindsay. He knows how to get him in those situations. Well, and maybe that's exactly we, – we start seeing these roles develop between Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon where Melvin's the route runner – of the two and the one making the super contested catches like I saw him do last practice where I mean it was just a beautiful over the shoulder catch in the end zone with tight coverage but then with Philip you you don't have him do that stuff cuz that's what Melvin specializes in with Philip you get him the ball where it's it's an easy pass to catch. That's all he has to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about uh, coverage and running the right route and counting seven yards down. He gets the ball, and then he gets to do what he does best, and that's make people miss. 
that would make sense. Instead of having Melvin be the pass catcher, like it's easy to say, okay, Melvin's going to gonna catch the ball. Phil's going to run the ball. Melvin's going to ha- get the ball on third down and in the, in the red zone. That That's too simple. We, we know that it's not going to break down just like that. But I could see these roles being defined roles. I like that. I like that. And then another one, we have a question coming in here from Juan Pablo. Is that it seems like Drew threw a lot of dangerous balls today that were almost picks. Was that true, Zach? Yeah, that, that was true, and that's one thing that I did not like to see. It was the first day. I mean, yesterday when we were giving grades out to, to Drew, I was preaching just how he has not made very many bad decisions. And today there, there were quite a few bad decisions. Um, I believe one interception on the day for Drew, two other ones uh, that, that were nearly picked at that four-yard line right before Drew threw the, the touchdown to Jerry Judy. He threw one, and it hit Justin Simmons' hands. It would have been a very tough catch for Justin, but still, Justin wouldn't have just picked it. He would have taken it 96 yards the other way. You can't have those, obviously, in a game. Um, And Duke Dawson, I believe, had a ball go right through his hands. He jumped a a, a route really well. Should have been another pick as well. Um, And then there was a pick in 7-on-7 where uh, him and Deontay Spencer we're on a different page, so Drew threw the ball to the left of him. Deontay went to the right, and the ball bounced off Deontay's hands for, for a pick there. Uh, hard to tell who that was on. So not the best decision-making day from Drew. And really, Drew only connected with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Um, and so that that's something that maybe Drew says, well, I threw to these other guys, and they didn't get it done, so I'm just going to feed my one and two. Fine by me. <laughs> uh, how about a, an offensive line update, Zach? Uh, who is getting the reps where and, and how's that, uh, you know, kind of competition shaping up? Lloyd Cushenberry got all of the reps with the first team line today. And, and he looked good. He, he looked solid. Uh, like I said, the offensive line is the Get best. Get out the Sharpie. I, <laughs> the offensive line was the best that I've seen today. And, Ryan, it really, really feels like that. Uh, I, there may be some still playing some, some Schlotman in there. Patrick Morris, we'll see if he gets any reps. If he doesn't get any reps in the next couple of days, I think he's out of the equation. After practice, Vic, Vic said they, he likes what he's seen after Cush, uh, from what he's seen from Cushenberry so far, and that eventually he will be the guy. It's just a matter of if he can do that now. Well, he's saying he's also likes what he's doing now, so it's it's going to happen. Uh, he's going to be your opening day starter. I just hope that what why continue to give reps to someone else if he's the guy. And especially with Cushenberry, he's going to get better the more he's out there. You're going to get past those jitters, those those first game, those first few games mistakes earlier if you just go ahead, rip off the bandage, and get him out there. And as for Patrick Morris. I don't know if we're going to see him on the first team again after the way he got dressed down by Fangio and the other coaches a couple of days back when he shoved McTelvin Ajim to the ground unnecessarily in practice. I think he is uh, decidedly on the outs at this point, even to make a, a roster spot, because you figure Austin Schlotman is going to be the uh, first inter- one of the first interior backups, if not the first guy in on the interior. And I should yeah. I forgot to mention yesterday that uh, he had two bad snaps. One was with the twos. Snapped it right yeah. over the quarterback's head, and then they had an exchange issue that, 
you know, you never know with those, but based on the body language, I thought it, it looked like it was probably uh, Patrick Morris's fault yesterday. Yeah, you have to figure that right now the interior backups, the top two guys, even though Natani Muti is on the third team, he's making the roster that the interior backups, the first two guys are going to be Schlotman and Muti. And uh, I don't know if there's a spot for Patrick Mahomes on the fifth or Patrick Morris. Patrick Morris on the 53. Could you imagine if the Chiefs have to say that sentence this year? Oh my gosh. Wow. So, sorry. We only got to keep 53. Uh, <laughs> not a fit. Um, Zach, please tell me that Damar Dotson got first team reps at right tackle. You know what? He actually, no, he didn't. He didn't get any reps with the first team. It was Elijah Wilkinson, number 68 out there. Uh, you, you had a rotation with the second team. You had Calvin Anderson, Jake Rogers, and I do believe that DeMar got, got uh, a series with them. So maybe working his way up slowly, slowly, but there's there's no move in Elijah Wilkinson from right tackle right now. Unless you're a defensive lineman. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, then you're, oh. I, I just think you're going around him. Oh, oh man, I, I I hope I hope they they have a plan here. Um, and if it's Elijah Wilkinson, I hope that you know he's able to take a, a leap forward this year and play better than he did last year. But man, you know we are twenty days away from the Broncos' first game. Uh, we are, you know, that means we're thirteen days away from game week. Eventually, if it's gonna happen for Demar Dotson in Week One, it's gotta happen very soon. Yeah. Yeah, it, w- it would happen very soon because you have to imagine they're not going to go throughout all of training camp not playing him with ones. And then that Monday comes around before uh, a, a week before your game and they say, all right, Damar, you're the guy now. Ryan, I agree. If we're not talking about him taking over or getting some first team reps in one week from now, it's not going to be his job. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that they have to give him the job right now, but he just has to rep with the one. You got to make it a competition at some point. Uh, and that we have no indications at this point that it's going to be a competition. So, you know, a lot of times the moving the, you know, like in golf, they say Saturday is moving day uh, for the players. Usually moving day for players like this is in the preseason. That's not coming this year. So I don't know. I don't know if they're going to scrimmage and that's when, you know, they're going to have a chance to make a move in some of these competitions like the right tackle competition. But, it's probably got to start being a competition next week, you know, uh, or maybe even starting on Thursday. But at the most, starting on Monday, it has to look like a competition. Or I'm going to say there's no way that Dotson is starting week one. You agree, and, uh, Yeah, I think so. It's it's getting to be too late in the game. And honestly, if you don't see him up there, I would even say by Thursday. like Because you have a day off. It's another chance to kind of reset here. And then you're, you're just running out of time. This was day 10, and we got you got eight days left in this training camp process. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's getting pretty late. But the thing is, they did want Elijah Wilkinson to be the one. And in their minds, he's done enough, it would appear. Yeah. He did it last year or something because, yeah, it's, he, I think he, he just earned the job when uh, Juwan James – I guess he was given the job when Juwan James opted out. It is so weird uh... – and this isn't a knock on him or anything like that, but it is so weird to me like that all this is going on and then Juwan James is just not there. Like, I don't know. It's just it's so weird to me. Yeah, on the list yeah. of things that are weird, I mean, this is, this year it's way down the list, but, you know, it is interesting. 
It's just, I just, sometimes it just comes into my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, Juwan James is still a Bronco and then he's just not there. I don't know. Like I understand it. It's, uh, and you know, everyone has their reasons, but it just keeps coming back around to me. Like, wow, it's, that really did change things for the Broncos. Like we would probably be talking about a totally different scenario right now. If Juwan James was healthy and, and blocking out there. Yeah. Seriously, if he was if he was just an even average tackle, I mean that's that's what we're asking from the Broncos right tackle now. If you can be a little below average is kind of what we're saying. If you can be the twentieth best tackle, then this Broncos offense is going to be clicking. It's not like we're asking great things from from the tackle position. Not at all. We got another question here from Jai. Uh, he says, "Is there a bubble guy that you guys like or love that may not make the roster?" For me, I think it's Levante Bellamy. Uh, it's been the guy that we thought we were going to like going into camp. We've liked him during camp. He's probably not going to be on the 53, but I'm sure he's going to be a Bronco. Um, he's got explosiveness. You know, he was super, super productive in college at a small school. Um, but, uh, you know, I wrote this yesterday and we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Royce Freeman uh, has done a really good job of, of holding him off just by being solid, just by being solid. He's, he's kind of just kept Levante Bellamy at bay. And just, you know, he's pick, he's able to pick up blitzes and that sort of things that we know coaches are really in love with. Levante Bellamy struggling in that area. Um, so I think he'll be on the practice squad. But, yeah, I'm not going to make the 53. Yeah, I want to see Josh Watson on the 53, but I think he too could be headed for the practice squad, even though there's a little bit of an opportunity here with both Todd Davis uh, and Justin Stranod out. So he should be getting some more reps. Just his, whenever I watch Josh, Josh Watson, it seems like he's always around the ball always making plays, always flying around. And if it were my 53, there's a place on the roster for a guy like that. You guys literally took the two guys I was going to point to. So I have to look at two guys that we've talked about today. Is there a chance Calvin Anderson and or DeMar Dotson don't make the 53? Is there a chance that one of them doesn't? A chance? Yes. Sure, yeah. yeah. Because because uh, no. Elijah Elijah Wilkinson is your backup left tackle. We know that since he was going to be in the competition. Then do you just need one one of those guys? You're going to keep nine offensive linemen though, in all likelihood. So you figure two interior guys and then two tackles, and it becomes a question of saying, all right, which two backups are we going to keep? And the way they've been used, and also just the outlook for Demar Dotson. I'd say the two backup tackles are probably going to be Calvin Anderson and DeMar Dotson. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what I, that's what I would think as well. Another guy you can point to is Jake, Butt. if he stays healthy there, there may just be not enough roster spots to keep him uh, and a healthy Jake, Butt, I think we've all wanted to see and all have been excited for, we just haven't been able to see it. Yeah. But yeah. tight end, you've got button and, and Troy Fumagalli who's flashing as well. And Vic Fangio uh, had some uh, nice things to say about Fumagalli after pra after practice. I mean, there could be a tough decision coming there because Andrew Beck is the most versatile backup that you have. And whenever they go with a fullback on the rare occasions that happens, he's the guy who's out there. But Fumagalli and Butt just keep making plays. And Albert O has a hammer lock on a roster spot because of his draft status. So Someone notable is going to be out of the mix at tight end. Maybe even two guys that uh, Broncos fans know. Well, and, and really quick, speaking of tight ends, I asked Nick Vanette after practice about Albert O, about just what he's seen from him 
and Nick Vanette literally paused <laughs> for like four seconds. And I, I thought he was going to say, I'm really impressed you said his name right. Cause I said the whole last name. <laughs> and then he said he, he was blown away by Alberto blown away. The next question he was asked about uh, Noah Fant and had very good things to say about it. Blown away by Alberto. He said he can be one of the best tight ends in the league. If he just continues to develop, he says, man, I don't know where to start. I think he's the real monster. He's just so <laughs> physically gifted. I mean, he honestly higher praise than Noah Fant. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't there a show called Real Monsters? <laughs> well, you got a couple of them in that tight end room with uh, him and, of course, Drew calling Nick Vanetta Monster. Well, dude, there's our shirt, the tight end room, the Real Monsters. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> what, what did they transform from to become the Real Monsters? What were they the past couple of years? Um, they were the Monstars when they're all tiny. <laughs> <laughs> and they've developed into the real monsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, well, really, uh, I think this was a good practice. I think a lot, of, a lot came out of it, and I appreciate all the insights, Zach. Thanks for uh, for giving them to us. And we are going to wrap it up here. We'll be over on the podcast segment just in a second. Of course, if you're listening to us, it literally will be a second. Uh, but if you're going to listen to the podcast format and you're listening live, it'll be out just a little bit later today. So. Uh, tune in with us. Make sure to remember to like uh, and subscribe on YouTube. And then consider subscribing to the DNVR.com where you'll get all of the rest of Zach's observations from practice today. But for now, that's going to wrap it up for us today. And we'll talk to you later. All right. Shout out to everyone who's still riding with us on the podcast format of the show. We love you. We especially love those of you who listened to the live version and then came here into the uh, podcast section to listen to the rest of the show. So we get to all of your questions. Uh, And before we move on, a shout out to Breckenridge Brewery and the Avalanche Amber Ale. Just a delicious Amber Ale. Mace, that's one of your favorite Breck brews, isn't it? I'm really more of a strawberry sky. I've kind of throttled back to just being a fruit beer guy. Oh, all right. That's (laughs) that's fair. Uh, Well, the Avalanche Amber, if you're a big fan of Amber Ales, it's, it's probably the best that exists in my opinion. Uh, and you've got the, you know, the mile high city. And then now you have the Broncos country hoppy pale ale, which I have not yet gotten a taste of, but those of you who have, cause some of you have got it before we even got our hands on it. Uh, I've heard only good things. So check out Breckenridge brewery. I'm sure everyone could use a nice ice cold beer, uh, with the way things have been going around here lately. Um, and also of course, we got to give a shout out to DraftKings. Nothing goes better together than beers and betting. Just have a cold beer, throw down some action on DraftKings Sportsbook, have yourself a good night guaranteed pretty much every time. Unless, you know, you lose a bunch of money, but don't do that. Just watch DNVR bets daily in the morning. We'll hand out winners. Drink your beers, enjoy your bets, and get into it. All right, Mason, let's get into the questions from the listeners. I'll let you go first. All right, let's get this one started with Mike1809. What is up, DNVR? I started listening to the pod around draft season and have been hooked ever since. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I'm a Colorado native from Conifer, Go Lobos, and have been a diehard Broncos fan my whole life. I just started a business out here in North Carolina, and while managing the stress of getting a startup off the ground, the DNVR pod has kept me sane. Keep it up, fellas. Well, thank you. Thanks for riding with us, and uh, glad we can help you out as you try to get things going. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for being with us. 
Like, I was in Col- Go ahead. Oh, go on. Okay. I was in Colorado this past week, went down to the DNVR bar for lunch with my old man. Love the green chili on the breakfast burrito. Love the RK special. Was treated like family and decided it was time to subscribe. We got him. Okay, question time. What's the best dad joke in your arsenal? My go-to, which, yes, I got from my dad. What do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. What do you call a cow with two legs? Lean beef. Well, <laughs> I'm the dad, but RK, you are actually the king of dad jokes. So what is your go-to? You know, everyone says I'm the king of dad jokes, but I don't tell dad jokes like that one. My dad jokes are all, uh, you know, in the flow of the offense, if you will. Um, so I don't just have them off the top of my head, like scripted jokes. I'm all about, you know, just responding to something you said with a dad joke-esque response. <laughs> all right. Is that fair? Is that fair? That's fair. I'm, I'm really, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a, uh, I'm more of an anagram, an anagram guy, but, uh, like there was one that I figured out with Justin Herbert that, uh, uh his, that his anagram of his name was the jet burner. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, yeah. You do love you some anagrams. I, I know that of you. Yeah. And I'm actually looking back for, uh, and I looked back on my Twitter feed and I said, dad jokes. And I said last year, what we need to do is get Deandre Hopkins, skip Bayless and former Tampa Bay Rowdies defender Stuart jump in the same place. So we could have a hop skip and a jump. That's oh a dad joke. That is a dad <laughs> joke for sure. Maybe even a bad joke too. Number two from Mike 1809. Is this the year we finally beat the chiefs? I'm hoping that our D can hold them to three or fewer touchdowns per game. And that our offense has enough juice to keep us competitive. I'm optimistic that we can get there this year. Touch wood. Am I crazy, Mike? I think the Broncos are going to be in a game with the Chiefs this year. Uh, whether they win it or not, will probably come down to a few bounces one way or the other, but I think you'll see competitive football against the Chiefs this year. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that home game in October in particular is one where I expect the Broncos will put up a very solid fight before succumbing. I am not optimistic about December in Kansas City on Sunday night, even if it's at – 22% capacity just because unless Peyton Manning has been the quarterback December Kansas City has rarely resulted in good things for the Broncos for anyone really man yeah. well uh, true but for the Broncos it's it's amplified I mean it I think uh the only times they've won an arrowhead in December without Peyton Manning uh they beat the Chiefs I think in 09 I believe it was uh with Kyle Orton and Josh McDaniels as the coach, as the coach, as the quarterback coach combination, pardon me. And I believe there was a game in uh, 94 where the Broncos upset the chiefs, but uh, I mean, was that John Elway or was Hugh Millen in by then? That's I, my, it escapes me at this moment. I don't have it in front of me. Next one's from BC Bronco. Haven't commented in a while, but in my first week of my second year as a subscriber, I thought it was a great time to say thank you. To all of you at DNVR for bringing us all the news of our beloved Broncos, Rockies, Avs, and Nuggets in this wild, weird, and crazy year. The coverage here is second to none. Recently, I realized I haven't frequented any other Broncos pods in in over 11 months. But the best part is the community within the DNVR fam. If you're not a subscriber, getting access to the Discord server to talk Broncos without the worry of the Twitter trolls out there is priceless. Plus, the shirts are awesome. Eerily awaiting for my DNVR team shirt to show up. 
Thank you again, DNVR crew, for the best damn sports coverage out there. And the DNVR fam for being the best damn sports community out there. That's pretty awesome. You know, one of the great things about Discord when I pop on there is you don't have a 280-character limit. So in Discord, there even despite its name, in Discord, there is room for nuance and room for finding agreement in that gray area, whereas Twitter does not seem to have the same window for that. I thought you were going to say Discord has room for discourse. Oh. <laughs> Although but Discord is usually, when you use the word Discord, it's usually about disagreement, right? It's usually rancorous right. in discussion. Like There's a lot of Discord on Twitter. I would say it's kind of the opposite in Discord over at DMVR. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Count Locula. What's the strangest post-drinking session snack you've ever created that still exists in your pantheon of go-to late-night bites because it turned out to be delicious, dank, dope? Mine is pan nachos. Direct message me if you want to know the secret. Love the count. Well, I have nothing because if I've, had, if I've gone out and had a few drinks, usually all I do want to do is just go to sleep. Mm, so yeah. I, I'm not up for being in the kitchen right after having a few drinks usually i'm just taking a nap so i'm sorry count i got nothing yeah i'm with you halfway there what what my thing is is i'm I'm not gonna have the patience to like put something in a pan and cook it Mm -hmm. so all of my go-to's are something you can make quickly i used to make grilled cheese when i was uh when i was younger but now yeah i'm kind of with you the the older you get the more tired you are after drinking (laughs) um my this is this is one that you'll have to hear me out on um it's also kind of a struggle meal that's how it was discovered it's because i made it out of just what was left in the house um a tortilla then you take some peanut butter spread that on the tortilla then you drizzle honey over the peanut butter and Mm. then you uh sprinkle on some cinnamon and sugar interesting and you roll it up and snack on it it's delicious that that actually sounds pretty awesome <laughs> yeah it's pretty good that doesn't sound like something you come up with when you're drunk uh, especially well, was... when you're talking about the cinnamon as well i mean that's you're adding a spice that's kind of taking it to the next level uh in terms from a culinary perspective yeah well like i said it just started when i had literally <laughs> nothing left in the house except for tortillas and peanut butter and spices and honey and so i was like i got to figure something out here but now sometimes i get uh, you know oh and i forgot to mention mace you also nuke it in the microwave for like 10 seconds. Ooh, get everything to kind of melt a little bit. I like yep, that. Exactly. Yeah. From Pig Tosser 66, getting excited, fellas. Three weeks from tonight, and it's game time. A couple of questions. Is it just me or does Vaughn look huge this camp? His arms are massive, and it looks like he's bulked up big time from all the pics and videos I've seen. Your take? Yeah, he, he is bigger, and it's good muscle. The thing is, sometimes he's added weight and it's affected his speed off the edge. This year, he's added weight. He's added muscle. Doesn't look like it's affected his speed at all. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I like strong Vaughn. Um, you know, as he gets older, he's not going to be quite as quick. He needs to add some more weapons to the arsenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, a little bit of strength will help him there. The second question from Pictosser. Will opponents' fans be allowed in the DNVR bar? Well, it depends on what you mean there. because. You know, if you come with four Broncos fans and, you know, your roommate or something happens to be a Chiefs fan, we're not going to kick them out. Um, But I don't think we're honestly going to have to worry about, like, a gaggle of Chiefs fans showing up at the DNVR bars. 
you know, you, uh, you are the company you keep and we keep the right company to avoid that from happening. And I would say with the fact that we're doing tickets for the game watch parties because of the pandemic and being limited on capacity, I think it's going to be a while before we see anybody really try an invasion like that. Yeah, for sure. So. He goes on and says, I wanted to see if you guys could rate our three running backs on a scale of one to 10 for each of the following power, speed, quickness, vision, pass catching and pass protection as always DNVR killing. All right. Um, well, let's not do all three because that seems um, like overkill, but let's do Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon here. Mace, your power rating for Melvin Gordon. Eight. Yep. That's what I was going with. And your and power rating for Philip Lindsay? Six. Okay. I think we're on the same page there. Okay. Um, the interesting thing, though, is just to keep in mind, a lot of people think power backs are short yardage backs, and those two things don't always translate well. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying that of Melvin Gordon, but Philip Lindsay, because he's so quick and because he, he, you know, for his speed is over above average for power. Sometimes teams like to use that type of back in short yardage more just because they can hit the hole with such force that they're going to, you know, they're going to get a yard or two. And the other thing with power, sometimes that reveals itself downfield and, with Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, when they both get a full head of steam, Melvin's probably going to bounce off more guys, and that's where he's going to show his power. Phil's going to try to kind of elude them a little bit more. It's just the different styles that they have. All right, speed. I'm going to give uh, Melvin Gordon a an eight. Okay. And Philip Lindsay a nine. I'm going to give Melvin a seven and a half and Phil a nine. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. I actually considered seven and a half, and then I, I didn't want to open up a jar of uh, worms here with the decimal points. Uh, but, yeah, seven and a half, eight seems fair to me. We Phil, had incomplete yesterday on the grading. I think we can handle the decimal points. You'll never forget it. <laughs> Quickness. Ooh. What do Quickness, you got here? I've got to give Phil um, – Going to give Phil an eight and a half on quickness. Melvin, uh, Melvin, a six and a half. I haven't seen enough of Melvin's quickness to know for sure. So I'll, I'll defer to you on that one, but I think Phil actually deserves a nine on quickness. Um, he's actually quicker than he is fast in my opinion. Okay. That's, that's fair to say. How about vision? Vision is something that Melvin Gordon has been lauded for in the past. Um, You know, eight or nine, I think, is where he should be up there in terms of vision. That's where he really makes his mark. Um, You know, over the past, I think it's three years, he has the best uh, uh, running averages against stacked boxes. The way you do that is by finding little gaps and exploiting them. Um, so that's that might be Melvin Gordon's greatest attribute. Yeah, I'd say Melvin's a nine, and it's not that Phil is bad at this. I'm going to put him at around. Uh, I'm going to put him at a seven and a half. But Melvin's a top five back in terms of vision league wide. Yeah, I think seven seven and a half is right for Phil as well. Pass catching, man, Melvin's about as good as it can be here. Uh, at least from what we've seen from him, I'll probably put him at a nine there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil, man. It's hard. It's hard. Um, I don't want to hold last year against him too much, but we also have a very small sample size here. I'll also, though, I think it's fair when it comes to just catching passes to use Phillips' college tape 
um, to tell to to point to last year as a little bit more of an outlier. So I'll go seven there for him. Um, I think he'll prove that out this year. You know it's there, and it's not like he was a bad pass catching back as a rookie. I think you can write year two off largely to coming off of the wrist injury. So I'm going to say seven for Phil, but you have to have Melvin in a nine just because he's been so effective at that area and so consistent in that area of his game over the course of his career. Yeah, and I mean, there's only one ten maybe in NFL history, and that's Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. That's uh, the last one here, and in many coaches' mind, the most important, maybe, pass protection. Yeah, uh, Melvin, a, a solid seven and a half. Phil, I mean, Phil is willing, but sometimes Phil gets run over. And so that's why, that's why you got to say probably five and a half for him. Yeah, I was going to say six. Um, Phil's actual problem, at least in what I've seen, is he gets a little too excited to hit guys mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, and doesn't focus on his technique as much as just trying to, you know, catch someone on the chin. Yeah. When I had the chance to see the one-on-one pass pro drills for the running backs a couple of days ago, it was kind of what you expect from Phil. He's willing and he'll mix it up, but sometimes, but sometimes uh, you mentioned kind of a little overexcited and sometimes uh, he'll just get overpowered. And that did happen to him uh, during that drill. It's just, it's, just part of the equation with Philip Lindsay. Right. Like you okay. have to, yeah, it's, you, you know, Bradley Chubb is supposed to run over Philip Lindsay. But at least he will put his body in there as an obstruction. Some running backs, it's the Matador game. You say ole and let the guy by. Phil isn't that. Phil is willing. Phil will put his body in there. And even, and, you know, sometimes that means, yeah, you might have to kind of drag a guy down or, or do whatever it takes. Phil, Phil will do that, and that's why I think he gets – he. that's why he's higher than you would expect for a back of his size. Yep. From DTL, howdy. So here's the off-the-ball question, non-Broncos related, but how much would you be willing to give to someone like Christian McCaffrey? I'd be willing to go over most quarterbacks and probably give $30 million a year. Just want to know how much a weapon like that is worth. Not oh, that much. <laughs> no, the – no one who isn't a quarterback is worth $30 million a year. The thing with McCaffrey is you talk about him being a 10 as a pass catcher. And if I'm the Panthers, I'm starting to use him more as a wide receiver with that contract that they gave him because the way you're going to see the contract not turn into an albatross is by ensuring that he takes fewer hits. And that means you're going to have to cross train him as a wide receiver, banking on an eventual trans transition into being a wide receiver but the best wide receivers are you know can, are in the 20 million dollar range so I, i'm i'm right there for christian mccaffrey around 20 million maybe a bit over but i'm not going beyond that yeah even then though you just you're putting yourself in a tough position anytime you give a non-quarterback that much money yeah. uh, we saw it happen right here with von miller like it's tough to build a roster when you're when someone other than your quarterback is making that much money because the quarterback's going to cost a ton too yeah, but the, the Broncos tried that by not having the quarterback cost a ton because they had Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch, and then they got caught behind the eight ball, and then all of a sudden they were paying. The, the big problem is when you're paying eight figures for mediocrity at quarterback. Uh, you, yes. can live with, you can live with paying $20 million or more for a quarterback who is highly effective. And you love it when that quarterback is effective and cost-controlled on his rookie deal. But when you're caught in the middle in that 
15 to 18 million dollar per year range which means that is elite money at every other position on the field but you're paying it for a mediocre to below average starting quarterback that's where you fall into trouble and that's part of the problem with the Broncos cap equation of the of the previous two seasons yep and if Drew Locke you know hits you'll see how things are supposed to be structured when you're right. paying that much money out to other places. Correct. Low country Bronco. Hey boys, I kept this as short as I could. I apologize in advance. Looking back at 2014, Emmanuel Sanders had 1,404 yards. Demarius Thomas had 1,619. We talk about expectations for Judy and Sutton. And it seems most, at least right now, think the numbers will fall around 800 plus for Judy and 1,000 plus for Cortland. While I, was, while I understand Peyton Manning was the captain at the helm in 2014, is it unrealistic, or as Ryan likes to say, bullish to think Locke, Judy, and Sutton can replicate this level of success by fall 2021? Is it crazy to think Locke could have 3,500-plus yards, Sutton 1,288, and Judy 1,100 this season? Are we talking about this level of potential? I fear the pandemic will dilute the stats early on. However, when I think about Thomas and Sanders, I can't help but feel like Sutton and Judy could have a higher ceiling. I think as players, Sutton and Judy do have higher ceilings than Demarius and Emmanuel. But in terms of stats, you, you can't compare Peyton Manning stats to other places. It's just not fair. Um, so, yes, those guys combined for 3,000 receiving yards that year, which is absurd. But, you know, this is Peyton Manning we're talking about. For Drew Locke to even be in the same stratosphere as Peyton Manning is going to be very difficult um, and if it happens, you know, the Broncos are set for a long, long time. I'll just say this. I think the goal for them should be to have multiple seasons where they both go over a thousand yards. Uh, and, and anytime that happens, that's big. Is it possible this season? Yes, I actually think it is. Um, but not likely. Uh, and, and as you go, as you go on to next season, that should be the goal. Thousand yards for both of them. And you know what? The Broncos had, multiple thousand yard receivers with Brian Greasy. They did it in 2000 with Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. And they, they did it with Trevor Simeon. And, and they did it with Ashley Lee or, or with Jake Plummer throwing to Ashley Lee and Rod Smith, pardon me. So it's possible to get there with middling quarterbacks. Now, that being said, one thing that Trevor Simeon didn't have that Drew Locke will have is real threats at the tight end position that can change the game. And that's something that's probably going to cut into Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy just a little bit because Noah Fant's going to get the ball. Nick Vanette's going to get the ball. And if Nick Vanette and the comment we alluded to early in this podcast is to be believed, you might be seeing something down the line of with Albert O and Noah Fant that I don't want to use the Patriots example because of Aaron Hernandez, but Watch Patriots 2.0 with Tampa Bay. And you've got Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard. And O.J. Howard is tearing it up. And they've got Cameron Brayton reserved. So I would say this. Take a look at what the Bucks do with a lot of two tight end sets this year with Gronk slash Howard or Gronk slash Cameron Brayton or Howard slash Brayton. And get some ideas because that may be a way to maximize those guys, but unless you're passing the ball a ton, uh, it also would cut into the work for, or, or the or the amount of yards that Judy and Sutton get. You might have too many good weapons. 
From Just Ice Hold the Water, another Taco Tuesday and another great day, boys. With it coming out that Ruggs is going to assume the role that A.B. was supposed to take on, do you think this is too much pressure for the rookie, or will the kid rise to the occasion? I don't think talent is the issue, but rather experience that would frustrate Ruggs the most. Signed, Just Ice Hold the Water. Oh, hmm. That's a good question. That, that is, I, I think ultimately he's going to rise to the occasion, but I think he's going to rise as the season goes on. I don't think he's going to be all there early. But one thing with Henry Ruggs, even though there's a lot of focus on that one clip that we saw of Damon Arnett making the play on him, Ruggs is making some plays out there with the Las Vegas Raiders. And... And he certainly has a lot of that Alabama background, kind of like Keurig Judy does, in terms of understanding concepts, uh, being able to operate at a pretty high uh, mental level as far as, as far as learning a system. So I don't think it's too much pressure for, for Henry Ruggs. I just think it's going to take time for him to be as productive as they want him to be. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on, a shout-out to WGT Golf. Go to, DN, go, go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT. And when you join, you can become a member of the DNVR3 Country Club. Uh, and all you got to do is type in DNVR number three, no spaces, to join the DNVR3 Country Club. Uh, you'll get in on all the same benefits of DNVR1 and DNVR2. The only problem is the way the DNVR, uh, the way that WGT is set up is you're only allowed to have 250 members in a country club. And we have been blowing those numbers away. So we're on to our third country club. But it's all the same. You get to play in the same tournaments. You have the same chance of winning prizes. So go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT today. And while we're at it, go to manscaped.com and order yourself some of their fantastic products. I was listening to some friends on the radio today, and they were just becoming familiar with some of these products and I, you know, I texted them. I said, you're in for a life-changing experience. Uh, not, it's not just the Lawnmower 3.0, which is, of course, the holy grail of products from Manscaped. It's really about the crop reviver, the crop preserver, the crop mop, all of these different things that you're going to add to your regiment right when you get out of the shower and make your whole day a lot better below the belt. So check out manscaped.com. Use the code DNVR20 for free shipping and 20% off. Yeah, good stuff, uh- whether you're operating above or below the equator, Manscaped, it works. I've, I, it's the best razor for my beard I've ever had. There you so go. I'm using it up top. The Vaughn Stars. How confident are we about DeMar Dotson starting week one? I thought he'd be a shoe-in, but it seems like he hasn't played too much, if at all, with the ones. Are they easing him in, or is he actually coming in as a backup? We kind of addressed that earlier. It's not trending toward DeMar Dotson being the starter in week one, but you know, as we discussed, if the Broncos had it work out the way they wanted it to, they wanted Elijah Wilkinson to earn the job. The problem is Wilkinson has struggled at times. So uh, to me, it's a little bit curious. It is curious. And I, I just want to see him get an, an opportunity over there. If he squanders it, then, you know, go from there. But you don't bring in, in my opinion, you don't bring in a guy who's a 10-year veteran uh, with multiple starts at right tackle for an NFL team over the last, what is it, four years? Oh, he's been a starter at right tackle for the last eight years. Eight years, you know, yeah. a long-time starter. You don't bring him in and not give him a chance. Yeah. It's just weird to me. It is weird, and, and you wonder if DeMar Dotson thinks, okay, this is what I 
kind of waited for because he sat on the market for a while. And there were good reasons why he sat on the market. He struggles in run blocking in part because his bend isn't what it used to be at this point. Father time is undefeated. It's catching up with DeMar Dotson. You're asking one year from him, but when I watch him in pass pro and watched him in the one-on-one pass rush drills a couple of days ago, he still got it there in pass pro. He, and maybe you think about doing something kind of like the Broncos did in 2015, where you're shuffling in guys and giving DeMar Dotson a series and Elijah Wilkinson a series. I, I, I don't know, but maybe that would help him out. Just get, I just want to see him get reps. Just yeah. show me reps of DeMar Dotson at right tackle. And I need to see if he's as much better than Elijah Wilkinson as I think he is. I would agree. Cause we've seen it. I mean, of course he's dominating the third teamers. He's supposed to, he's yeah. been a, he's been a starter for the better part of a decade, almost entirely right. He did play some left tackle, I believe back in 2013 uh, when they had to move him over, but he, he knows what he's doing. He's a pro. The guys that are on the third team that he, that he's facing, you know what? They're not up to his standard. They're not going to be a challenge for him. From Bronco Terp, my boys, I know it's difficult to pick up everything from a practice and you only get to see in person every so often, especially when you're used to being there every day. You're doing a great job. And as you alluded to in previous pods, I think it's an added and different and interesting perspective. But I've got to ask as a former writer who's been at a few of these things, how's the setup for the media? How are restrictions on where you can go and interact compared to previous years? More importantly, how's the lunch spread? Ha! (laughs) Is there one? No. There wasn't one even in the pre-pandemic days, except on Friday when they had pizza or occasionally Chick-fil-A brought in. So, yeah, there wasn't a daily lunch spread out there. There'd be coffee, occasionally some donuts when you walked in, and that was it. So here's what I'll say. First of all, it's a bummer that uh, there's limits on credentials and we can only have the one person out there every day. I mean, that's, I think that's, that, that's kind of the obvious thing and something that I hope changes if this pandemic persists in the future. Yep. The angle is terrific. We can see much more practice than we used to being up top on the top of the hillside rather than down in the media area. I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, in, in future years, or if this had been a normal year, I, I have to, there were times I was thinking of just going up and sitting on the hillside among the fans and then coming back down and talking uh, and, and doing the media stuff after practice because you do see a heck of a lot. It's a great angle to watch practice from. Yeah, it's great. You know, you can't really move around at all, which can sometimes be frustrating um, just because, you know, in the past you could move to, move yourself to where you could have a better angle of things, which, we, you know, we have about a 20-foot stretch where we can move right now. Um, but in the end, you don't have to move as much because the, you know, the base angle is that much better. It, it's nice. It brings a new perspective. I wouldn't mind if there was a little media area, you know, up there in the future, even when the fans come back. I, I would agree. Maybe even, you know how they have those bleachers that they put on the uh, on the side of the field for VIPs and so forth. I mean, maybe even uh, put a bleacher section up and say, this is going to be the media area and have them sit up there. That wouldn't bother me one bit. From the other Ryan, 
Folks, I haven't commented in a few days due to being inundated with work. My daughter's going back to school and selling a car yesterday that I owned and loved for almost 16 years. With Justin Sternod unfortunately being lost for the season, I circle back to my question from the last time I queried, will the Broncos now seriously consider bringing a veteran inside linebacker such as Wesley Woodward Yard or Alec Ogletree. I think the Broncos should need to strongly consider doing so now, especially given Todd Davis' injury in the second consecutive training camp. Does Trinod's injury make you more inclined to think the Broncos will actually sign another linebacker? Have a terrific Tuesday, DNV Army. Salute. Mace, usually in training camp, when they're going to make moves based on personnel and injuries, they make them quickly. So the yeah. fact that we haven't heard about any of these guys coming in for a visit or anything like that tells me that, no, they are not going to do that. And I think at this moment, they're confident in Josie Jewell. Vic Fangio had some good things to say about him. They put Josie Jewell out there front and center for the post-practice Zoom availability today. I think they're viewing this as an opportunity to see how far Josie Jewell has come. And uh, to his credit, he has looked better. He says he's able to react to things quicker but I asked him something about the last couple of years and said, if you could go back to the time before you were, right before you were drafted, what advice would you give yourself if you could? And he said the advice he would give would be to relax. He didn't spell it out like Aaron Rodgers. But I, thought, I, I listened to that, and you look back at Josie Jewell's last couple, last couple of seasons, and it's fair to say that given the expectations for him, it's been a bit of a disappointment. I think Definitely. he has come in below what the Broncos expected, what he expected. I mean, we talk about his issues in coverage, but he hasn't even been the thumper inside the box that we'd expect him to be. One thing that even before Todd Davis was injured that I did notice is that Josie Jewell in the practices I was at was making some plays, yeah, making he, more plays than he did the last couple of years. Yeah, it's concerning that they're not going to have a, you know, an athlete in that group, at, at least at right now. Obviously, Alexander Johnson is an athlete, and so is Todd Davis in their own special ways. But, you know, not that big, you know, not that athletic, rangy linebacker. It's not going to be in there. But, you know, Vic Fangio, he's the master. He's the, supposed to be the one to figure out how to draw up a defense that doesn't need that. Yep, that's very, very true. Polish Filipino, how much real tackling has the team worked on so far? It's so weird to me that the season starts in a little over two weeks. I'm slightly nervous about no preseason games. Well, Mace, let me count how many days they've worked on uh, live tackling. Oh, oh, none. Uh, they're not allowed to work on live tackling in training camp anymore. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not happening. Not happening, but uh, Vic Fangio has talked about how there's going to be some full speed uh, uh, going to the ground periods to make up for the preseason games that are lost. So everything's kind of been rearranged. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that on Thursday. So is there an, a restriction on how long, how many times they're allowed to go to the ground, or what's the deal with that? The restrictions are on pads. I mean, they, they could go to the ground as many times as they wanted. It's just not considered – it's not considered something you want to do because guys get hurt. Oh, I guess really, I just... The closest thing we've seen to that is the goal line period that we saw, uh, I believe, last Friday. Oh, so I'm wrong on that. I thought they weren't allowed to in the current, you know uh, – Yeah. Uh, current CBA, but that's on yeah. me. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to kind of legislate that, it, it, and I think that's why they just focus on number of days in pads because, of course, if you're not wearing pads, you're not going to be going to the ground. 
Last one here from Race City Bronco. A few days ago, you guys were discussing the way too early predictions, and Ryan stated Jerry Judy will quickly be easily deemed the best receiver in this rookie class, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Have you guys been following any of the other rookies from around the league, and has anyone been standing out to you? I'm following the wide receiver class through their respective team's social media, and I would say early on, Justin Jefferson is having a really good camp. He seems to be running with the ones with Kirk Cousins throwing to him in his early highlights. I've also been impressed with CeeDee Lamb and Visca, who has a couple of nice catches. I was a big fan of Henry Ruggs while he was at Alabama, but he hasn't stood out so far. There's even a highlight of another corner, Isaiah Johnson this time, picking his pocket and snagging an INT right out of his mitts. Thanks again for your coverage. You guys are keeping me sane during these crazy times. I've been following the stuff on Justin Jefferson as well, and I think he, of the non-Jury Judy wide receivers, is going to have the biggest rookie season, in part because the situation is tailor-made for him to step right in. You basically say, all right, Stephon Diggs is now Buffalo Bill, Justin Jefferson. He's going to be a one-for-one replacement in terms of role. So he's going to get opportunities. He's a mature wide receiver, something that he showed at LSU, helping Joe Burrow have that great season last year. I think Justin Jefferson, uh, maybe bless me to say this, may actually have bigger numbers than Jerry Judy does this year. Interesting. Yeah, Jefferson – to me, beyond Judy, it looked like he was pro-ready uh, yeah. to go at, at LSU. Not quite as explosive, but, you know, equally as precise. Just not in the uh, suddenness that Judy right. has, but all, just a very clean route runner. Yeah, Justin Jefferson is going to be the guy that I think, when he matures and settles, is going to be getting 80 to 95 catches, 1,000 to... 1100 yards averaging about 11 to 13 yards a catch yeah the other Jerry Judy's going to be above that Jerry Judy's going to have some more explosive plays to him so he's going to get more on a per catch basis the one that I you know think on top of those two guys is CeeDee Lamb I just think he's walking into an offense where he's at you know at most the the option the defense is third most worried about And I think that's going to allow him to rack up numbers. And the thing is, not only do you have two very good receivers there in Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, but the safeties are occupied with Ezekiel Elliott. So they can't provide as much help over the top to a corner who's in one-on-one coverage. It's going to open some things up for C.D. Lamb. He may not have a huge number of catches, but – Perhaps he has a season with a lot of explosive plays and maybe his numbers look something like A.J. Brown's last year in Tennessee. Yeah, that, that's a really good point there, Mace. Uh, a lot of explosive plays out there as he's going up potentially against a third corner. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's going to be better than that third corner 90% of the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a good question. Uh, and I just I continue to think that this rookie receiving class is going to be insane and that Jerry Judy is going to be the best one of the bunch. Yeah, I think the debate's going to be which was the better receiving class of the two generational classes, 2014 or 2020. And I wouldn't be surprised at all, RK, if three or four years from now we're saying that the 2020 class was even better than that one, which was, which was considered to be an all-time wide receiver class unfortunately for the broncos they got the dud of the class in the second round in cody latimer well 19 days mace until we get to see that rookie class for the first time out there on the field we're inching closer it's crazy to me how much how quickly 
it's sneaking up. You know, usually the preseason games kind of break up the lead up to the season, but without that, the days are just dropping off the calendar like nothing. Yeah, I know. And, and the rhythm is totally off because ordinarily we're at this time of year, we're used to kind of adapting to what the regular season rhythm is going to be building up to that game. We don't have that buildup because even in preseason, you're building up to, to Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday night and it doesn't happen. So the days are all blending together, but then you look down at your calendar and you say, well, holy crap. I mean, what is, t- is today the 24th? Today is the 25th. 20. See, there you go. I was off by one, the 25th of August. We should be going into preseason week number three. And instead we're talking about when are we going to see these guys tackle to the ground for the first time? Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm taking a lot of notes on this year because I have a feeling that I'm going to look back on this and want to write a book about just how screwy everything was this season. I mean, this is uh, taking every norm that we know about the NFL and in my own, in our own little realm covering the NFL and just throwing it in the wood chipper. There's a weekend approaching us, Mace, in which we're going to have football, basketball, well, football, uh, playoff basketball, playoff hockey, baseball. Yeah, pennant race baseball now because, I mean, everyone, you know, only five teams are basically out of it. Everyone's going to be driving for the postseason. And major championship golf all in the same weekend. Or what about that weekend in October? If you, You're not going to have the other sports, but you're going to have the Masters NFL doubleheader yeah, oh correct. my my goodness they are they talking they're talking about playing the masters final round early right is like that what they're leading doing? into the leading in the nfl like they're gonna play it in like late morning early afternoon eastern time that would be smart i just why not just move it to monday the final round because or actually what that what i think the masters should have done rk they should have played thanksgiving weekend if you're not going to have any fans yeah, yeah. And then the first round is on a day that everybody's off. Smart. And if, yeah, you got football, but golf fans golf fans would watch the Masters if it were on Thursday and Friday Thanksgiving weekend, but they didn't do that. But that that would have been truly insane. It would. Well, uh let's just hope that uh the basketball and hockey teams around here figure out a way to put it back oh. together so they might be involved in one of those weekends. But anyway, a shout out to Green Mountain Dental Group, best damn family owned dentist group in the metro area. When you schedule a cleaning, x ray, and exam, they'll hook you up with a free Sonicare toothbrush, which you're ac- absolutely gonna love. So hit up Green Mountain Dental Group if you need any dental work done in the metro area. But for today, that's going to wrap it up for us. And, and just as a programming you note, know, no podcast tomorrow as the Broncos won't be practicing. We're already going to have five practices with the Saturday podcast. So uh, just keep that in mind. No pod tomorrow, but we will be back with you on Thursday. We'll talk to you guys later. It's getting me down.